What's up, everybody? My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports for Thursday, October 5th. Wow, it is, it's October already. You know what that means? What that means is now I will acknowledge that baseball does exist. Um, I want to start with this. Personally, I had the best weekend of my life. You know, I'm driving home from this concert um, with my best friends from Seattle, about a five-hour drive, Sunday night, and we start getting this live news from Vegas. And I, I, I feel like I can't mention, I can't say that I had the best weekend of my life without first mentioning that. Uh, of course, what happened in Vegas was a tragedy. It was awful. And I believe strongly that no matter how you feel politically, we can't, can't disagree that what happened in Vegas was really sad. Um, I'm trying to focus on the good. And what happened this weekend for me personally was fantastic. I got paid to work in production on the sideline of the Washington State USC game, a game in which Washington State upset number five USC, the number five team in the nation. I got paid to work in production on the sideline and watch my favorite team win a game. It was so, so awesome. I'm, I'm still kind of riding the high from this weekend. Like this weekend was absolutely incredible. And then later that, that last weekend, not only did I go to the best game in the country that weekend, I also got to drive up with my friends from high school to see my favorite artist of all time. We went to Seattle and we heard John Bellion play. And John Bellion, that concert was a blast. So I got to hang out with my best friends from high school. And honestly, this weekend was absolutely amazing. Um, respect and trust are earned. I respect and trust my best friend, Nathan. I watched Nathan do the impossible. He has fixed broken cars. He has a great driving record. I've ridden in the car with him and I can verify Nathan is a good and safe driver. I have seen it with my own eyes. Driving back from Seattle this weekend, I let my best friend Nathan drive my car for a few miles while I slept. I, I, I don't let anyone touch my car. I rarely let people touch my steering wheel, let alone drive my car. But Nathan, Nathan can drive my car. Nathan has gained my respect and my trust with his actions. So with that, with that thought that Nathan has gained my trust with his actions, let's talk about the Washington State USC game. This weekend, Washington State upset number five USC. And we learned so much from this game. I got a hand, I got a ton of hard evidence to take home. Does that make sense? I have not believed in WSU this year. Well, but this game made me, allowed me to make significant conclusions about the Washington State football team. First, I want to say, however, I cannot imagine going to a school that was not competitive. I had this moment sitting there in the third quarter, just realizing how much fun I'm having. And I cannot even fathom going to a school like Kentucky or Oregon State. And what's cool about this game is I always believed WSU had a chance to win the game. And I truly believe Washington State is capable of winning every single game left on their schedule. And that's really encouraging. I don't think they will, but the fact that they could is really cool. So we learned a ton about Washington State's football team this weekend. I've said all season, I'm skeptical of Washington State. I've used language that I actually frankly regret. I called at one point Washington State a college football fraud. And now looking back, I, I will agree that was extreme. But I felt like they didn't belong in the top 25 because Washington State had not played any teams that were impressive. Washington State was 4-0 with wins over teams that weren't that they were supposed to beat easily. Wins over teams that weren't any good. 
Now, many people disagreed with my assertion that Boise State um, is not very good. I do not believe in Boise State. A top 25 team should be able to handle Boise State with no issue. You know, Chris Peterson, their legendary coach, has left. And Boise State, since he left, has not proven themselves. So I would agree, Washington State, they are a good team. But I don't think Washington State, until this weekend, deserved a spot in the top 25. Washington State had not done anything to earn it. Until WSU beat USC, they had no impressive wins. Montana State, Oregon State, Nevada, those were all games that they would obviously win. And again, I have this unpopular opinion that Boise State is no longer a national powerhouse. And I will not respect Boise State until that program wins games nationally. They have to earn my respect. Again, Boise State lost their legendary coach. I am very skeptical of Boise State, and I was also skeptical of Washington State. I love WSU. I am a huge fan of WSU. But I don't believe that I had any proof that WSU belonged in the top 25. They won four easy games. So what? Now, the USC game changed my opinion in many ways. I believe that a 10-2 season is completely reasonable for WSU. Now, I'd be very surprised if they were undefeated. That would shock me. But beating Washington, Utah on the road, those are really tough games. But I believe 10-2 is a very solid prediction for the Washington State football team. WSU's game this weekend against USC was very informative. We learned a ton about the Cougs. USC is not dominant up front. USC's offensive and defensive lines were dominated by Texas earlier this year. So if WSU had been dominated by USC, I would be extremely worried. Now, I was on the sideline this week, last weekend, and both teams were trading blows. It went back and forth. It was very clear. You know, there were times that WSU would get beat, and I would look at my coworker and say, I would channel my old high school coach and say, wait room, wait room. But then, but then WSU would come back and make a big play. So even though I was very skeptical of their offensive and defensive lines, they proved that they can hang with top teams. Earlier this season, I made fun of WSU's size. I said that WSU is too small, and I criticized their offensive and defensive lines. Well, I was actually very much wrong. I am worried about USC up front, but I am not worried about Washington State on the offensive and defensive lines. See, USC and WSU run very different systems. And the pro style that USC runs on offense Size and ability up front are very important. Washington State runs a spread air raid system. This allows Washington State to do more with less. Washington State does not need a huge, dominant offensive line. They spread you out. They they, they worry about speed instead of size. Washington State throws the ball really quickly and exploits you with mismatches. That's not to say USC doesn't worry about winning matchups and winning, you know, getting mismatches. Every football team does. And that's not to say that WSU doesn't worry about, you know, beating you physically and, and, and beating you with size. Every football team also wants to do that. But WSU and USC have very different systems where one values speed and strength and size more and one values mismatches and scheme a little bit more. WSU runs a zone running scheme. USC runs zone, but they also run power and all matter of stuff, USC's strategy, part of it, is to beat you physically. 
Something that they actually struggled to do because USC is not that big and not that good up front. WSU doesn't rely on beating you physically. Washington State relies more heavily on schemes. Now, the, the defensive front seven for WSU has looked dominant all year. WSU has been able to get pressure against every single team they have played. USC's in trouble. USC doesn't have a deep threat. So USC is getting having teams play them with a stacked box. So a, a team goes, against, goes up against USC, and their scheme and their plan is, I'm going to stop the run. And USC does not have a receiver good enough to make you pay. They don't have a receiver that can beat you over the top. So Washington State's defensive line was fantastic this, this weekend. And honestly, WSU's defensive line has played great all year. They, they got pressure on Boise State. And, and I think WSU's defensive dominance is going to drop off against better teams. But overall, Washington State's defensive front is not a weakness of WSU. And neither is their offensive line. So what is Washington State's weakness? I have heavily criticized Washington State and said that they lack receivers. And I stand by this. I think that the Washington State receivers have had many, many issues. In fact, I joke privately calling Tavares Martin Jr. Tavares Martin Butterhands. I say the guy can't catch. It doesn't work. I, I started doing that when he dropped a touchdown in the end zone against Boise State. So Washington State's receivers have struggled with dropping open passes. That's not debatable. That's a fact. Now, last weekend against USC, both Tavares Martin and Kyle Sweets had multiple drops. Drops when they were wide open. And I don't care what you do. You're a doctor. You're a salesman. You're a mechanic. When someone gives you an easy one, when someone gives you a situation in which it's easy to be successful, you have to be successful. Catching a wide open pass is easy. The, you know, the special guys, they, they do catch passes when they are double teamed, but they also catch the easy ones. It starts with the easy passes. You must make the routine plays to be great. So Washington State receivers have not, not consistently made the routine catches this season. But then as my friend Mark pointed out, if you're going to have a problem, that's probably the best problem to have. You can get better at catching passes. Those are fixable mistakes. And so that's really exciting. Catch the dang ball. Let's go. But you can say that to him. That's, that is a fixable problem. So that is an area WSU needs to improve in. They need to catch the ball better, especially when they're wide open. But it's also a fixable mistake, something that WSU can fix and improve on. So Washington State is capable of winning every single game the rest of their season. I think 10-2 and two is more reasonable prediction. That's kind of where I think they're going to land. But this team is certainly legitimate. You know, WSU is currently ranked 11th in the nation. I think that's exactly where they belong. You know, as teams win and lose around WSU, I think their, their ranking will fluctuate. They might even make it into the top 10. But I think at the end of the season, WSU will land about 11th or 12th. That's, that's really where they belong. That is their home. That is their spot. And the game, the game this weekend was just incredible. I, I just want to kind of reminisce. USC does things bigger. You know, I'm on the sideline. I'm like, man, what? they have a huge staff. They have like this, this city they build on the sideline. They had stuff littered everywhere. And man, this game last weekend, USC-Washington State was a ton of fun. I love Washington State football, and I re it's, it's really cool to see my favorite team get a big win. I think WC would go 10-2 and two this year, and I, I do believe in them. They are a legitimate team in college football. 
let's stay in the state of Washington. I want to talk about Seattle Seahawks. I've gotten a ton of hate for my opinion on the Seahawks. For the record, I am a Seahawks fan. Despite what everyone believes, what everyone says about me, I love the Seahawks. And in the preseason this year, I made two huge mistakes. I miscalculated how bad the Patriots' defense would be, and I misjudged how big of an issue the Seahawks' offensive line would land and would end up as. Seahawks fans are being irresponsible. Everyone is saying, it's fine, Zach, it's fine. The Seahawks' offensive line will improve this year. They're bad every year. Uh, well, can we see it then? This weekend, the Seahawks beat the Colts 46-18. to 18. Now, on the surface, that looks great. We won a huge game. It was a blowout. But the entire the first half of this game was actually really competitive. The Seahawks did not run away from this game until the end. But the Colts, Colts are maybe the worst roster in the entire NFL. The Colts are really, really bad. It should not have been competitive at any point between the Seahawks and the Colts. A lot of people are saying to me, we won, shut up. That's terrible logic. You know, my sophomore year, I got 105% in Spanish class. I got extra credit. I got an A. On every single one of my assignments, I killed it. Now, even though I got an A, and even though I got over 100%, I didn't learn any Spanish. I cheated all year. I didn't learn anything. So I, I, I really regret that, actually. I wasted a whole semester. I didn't learn anything. I could have actually learned Spanish, and I didn't. So if you're in my situation, don't do that. Now, my point is that we can't just get caught up with the result. The result was you killed it. You got over 100%. You clearly know Spanish. Uh, actually, I didn't. 46 to 18 sounds like a beatdown. You would think, whoo, they killed it. Uh, no, I don't know Spanish. And the Seahawks didn't kill it. And I'm mad about it. You know, just because the Seahawks won 46 to 18 doesn't mean they played great football. The offensive line is still a huge issue. <clears throat> you know, if there's a hole in your engine and you keep fixing it with duct tape, that's an issue. You can keep adding duct tape all you want, but after a while, the duct tape isn't going to work anymore. Eventually, you're going to need to actually fix the hole in your engine. You need to get to the root of the problem and, and change the part. Fix what is going on with your engine. Don't just put duct tape over the issue. I know you don't want to spend $300 for a new part. No one wants to deal with their issues. But if you don't fix the hole in your engine, eventually your car won't work. And if the Seahawks don't deal with their issues on the offensive line, eventually those, this small issue is going to be a major issue. And Russell Wilson is going to get hurt or the season is going to be over and they're not going to be able to win games. As a Seahawks fan, I am saying, fix it. I demand better. You'd better invest in the offensive line. You know, protect Russell. Russell Wilson's my quarterback. I love him. He's one of a kind. Russell Wilson is useless if he's getting sacked or he's on his back all game. Seahawks fans need to demand more from their team. The offensive line is an issue that won't magically go away. Fix it. This weekend will be the biggest game of the year for the Seahawks. On Sunday, the Seahawks traveled down to L.A. to play the Rams. Now, now for some context, the Seahawks and the Rams play in the NFC. And the NFC is a really tough conference. The wildcard race is 
incredibly competitive. You have the NFC East where you, you have the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Eagles, all teams that are capable of being playoff teams. I, I think the Eagles are going to win their division, and the two other teams in that division will probably make the playoffs. So like the Cowboys and the Redskins. Not to mention, you have the Buccaneers in the NFC South and the Lions in the NFC North. The NFC is incredibly competitive. They're, it's chock full of tough teams. The Seahawks are need to, going to need to either win the NFC West. Uh, actually, you know, that's the only way they're going to make the playoffs. If the Seahawks don't win the NFC West, they're in trouble. You know, one of my buddies works for this company in San Francisco. It's, he's very excited. It's a media company. It was his first job out of college. And he said that before he was hired on, you know, you know, as, he was, as he was kind of starting to work there, the old guard was leaving. What that means is he was part of a new wave of employees coming in. And when he was coming in, the founders and the older guys were moving on to bigger and better jobs. The Seahawks' dominance over the NFC West is at stake this weekend. The Rams are legitimate. The Rams have one of the best offenses in the NFL. And I have to say, I love the Rams. I love their coach, Sean McVay. I watched a video of him in the locker room last weekend after they won. And man... Sean McVay, he just looks like a blast. The players love him. And Sean McVay is an offensive genius. The Seahawks are going to be challenged for their spot atop the NFC West this weekend. The Rams have always had a good defense. Their roster on defense is fantastic. But the Rams were missing pieces on offense. And oh boy, the Rams found their missing pieces. The most interesting aspect of this game on Sunday is the Seahawks defense. The Seahawks have a bad offensive line. That's well chronicled. Everyone knows that. The Seahawks have not been as impressive on defense as I had hoped. So I cannot wait to see what happens. Will the Rams come in and take their throne? Or will the Seahawks arch their back and hold on to their spot a little longer? This Sunday, the Rams versus the Seahawks is going to be a great game. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, um, Tom Brady did the most unpatriots-like thing he has ever done as in, in his entire life. And later, I'm going to rank the college football Power Five conferences. Which is the best and which is the worst? The Pac-12? The SEC? My name is Zach Shalma. This is Strong Opinion Sports, and I'll be right back. I love Tom Brady. Tom Brady is my favorite quarterback of all time. I strongly believe Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time. But the other day, Tom did something really strange. He did a radio interview, and he talked about the Panthers' loss. Now, in this radio interview, Tom Brady blamed the refs, and he said the Patriots did not get as many calls as the Carolina Panthers. He then followed it up by saying, oh, I'm not making any excuses. I'm just blaming the refs. Come on, Tom. Tom Brady, I love you. But you can't say that. You know, there was, a re- there was a really bad penalty called on Rob Gronkowski for deep offensive pass interference. But you cannot, if you're Tom Brady, you cannot call out the refs. And I am really shocked about this. I'm very surprised. It'd be one thing if it happened in the moment. You know, but it didn't happen in the moment. This was a calculated decision. You know, one thing I love about the Patriots is they do not tolerate BS. The Patriots get rid of players that cause distractions. They make cold, calculated decisions. 
In fact, in 2012, like the night before the Super Bowl, the Patriots cut Taekwon Underwood. One of the things I love about Tom Brady is the passion he plays with. You know, in the moment, he gets fired up. But after a game, Tom Brady is cool. He's confident and collected. The Patriots do not make excuses, and they don't make mistakes. Their decisions are very deliberate. So what Tom Brady doing, you know, blaming the refs in a radio interview, is just absolutely puzzling to me. You know, earlier in the year, I said that there would be a quote. There would be a moment where at some point this season, we will hear something, and we will know it's the beginning of the end for Tom Brady. Tom Brady isn't accountable for the loss on Sunday against the Panthers. But what a losing quarterback always says and always should say is, it's on me. I have to make more plays. Regardless of whether it's true or not, that's what an NFL quarterback always says. And yet Tom Brady's not taking accountability. Even though he shouldn't, that's what he should do. That's what quarterbacks do in the NFL. And part of that is because he's 40. Tom Brady does not want to look bad. He's very concerned with his image. He's concerned with the perception of his age. And, and I'm concerned about that too, actually, quite frankly. I'm speculating, and maybe I'm, I'm reaching, but I'm suggesting that Tom Brady is blaming the refs. Something so far out of character for him because he doesn't want to look bad. And again, in a game, he can do that stuff. Tom Brady yells at a ref in, game, in a game, I don't care, I don't mind. But when he makes a cold, calculated decision to blame the refs and not take blame for the game, that's, that's very weird. You know, Brady has, he had time to simmer down. And Brady never says anything controversial. So Brady making this choice really surprises me. This raises an alarm for me more than anything else. Does Tom Brady know something that I don't? Here's one scenario we haven't discussed. When we talk about, you know, what if Tom Brady is awful? And what if the Patriots, you know, go 16-0 and win another Super Bowl? Well, what if Tom Brady plays great? And the Patriots still are very mediocre. They go, you know, eight and eight or, you know, nine and seven. What happens if the Patriots have an average year, even though Tom Brady plays fantastic? I think no matter whose fault it is, if the Patriots have a mediocre year, they're going to move on to Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, even though Tom Brady has 10 touchdowns and no interceptions, the Patriots are still two and two. We can all agree 2-2 two and two is a mediocre record, and it's early. It's week five now. But Jimmy Garoppolo looked really good in the preseason. The, the, you know, the 49ers got rid of Joe Montana while he still had tread left on the tires. Yeah, there, there's this is just a really weird quote. Tom Brady is doing weird stuff. He's making excuses. This could be the beginning of the end for Tom Brady. However, I'm not counting Tom Brady out. So why I'm suggesting this could be the beginning of the end for Tom Brady. I'm just pointing out that this is something to be aware of. I will never, ever count out Tom Brady. Until the guy can't walk or is completely useless, I will always give Tom Brady the benefit of the doubt. Because his whole life, we've always doubted him, and he's always proved us wrong. Now, no matter what you think of Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo, the Patriots' defense is a huge issue. Here are the four quarterbacks the Patriots have played so far this year. Alex Smith, best game of his life against the Patriots. Drew Brees had a spectacular day, no interceptions. Deshaun Watson, a rookie, tore the Patriots' defense up. You know, the Patriots, 
dominate rookies. Deshaun Watson is a rookie. A Bill Belichick coach defense has never lost at home to a rookie quarterback. So while that didn't actually happen, the Patriots did end up beating the Chiefs. Uh, it almost happened, and that's that's frightening. Without the Tom Brady heroism at the end, the, the Patriots' record would be one and three, and that record of never losing to a rookie quarterback at home would have been broken. And then next, the Panthers' quarterback Cam Newton has been awful this year, and yet last weekend the Patriots lost to Cam Newton and the Panthers. Cam Newton, what is the one thing we always know about Cam Newton? Cam Newton does not have a high completion percentage. That's what Cam is in a nutshell. Cam Newton can make big plays happen, sure. But he will not consistently complete passes. Cam Newton's career average is 58%. Yet against the Patriots defense, Cam Newton had a record day. Cam Newton had an incredible completion percentage. I'm like, is the sky falling? What's happening here? Because everything seems backwards. All the headlines are like, Cam got his swagger back. Cam back on track. Cam back to his winning days. I want to point out, is Cam being really good? Is Cam back to being good? Or did did he just play a really bad Patriots defense? And I tend to assume that Cam Newton isn't back to being really good. I think the Patriots defense is just really bad. Every team that has that plays against the Patriots tears their defense apart. You know, I've said this earlier in the show, in my preseason predictions, I made two big mistakes. I underestimated how much of a problem the Seahawks offensive line would be, and I didn't realize how bad the Patriots defense is. The Patriots will not reach the Super Bowl if they do not fix their issues on defense. Now, <clears throat> The good news is that all of their issues are fixable. This is not a coaching issue. This is not a schematic issue. The issue with the Patriots is the players. For some reason or another, the Patriots cannot get themselves in the right position. The Patriots are blowing assignments left and right. Yes, that is frustrating and rage-inducing. Why is that happening? But it's, it's also a problem that can be solved. Yes, the Patriots need to figure it out. I don't think sometimes I get excited about quarterbacks. We forget that even though the Patriots have, quite honestly, the most accomplished, possibly best quarterback of all time, we forget it also takes a defense to win. The Patriots need to get their guys in the right spot and play better defense. If the Patriots can't figure out their defense, they will not be able to win a Super Bowl. The Patriots aren't going to even make the playoffs if they don't figure it out soon. Another team that's really concerning me. You know, I mentioned the Patriots. Even though the Patriots are having issues, their issues are fixable. The Green Bay Packers cannot solve their issues. Because the Green Bay Packers issues are personnel issues. It's not a schematic issue. It's not, a, not an issue of blowing assignments. It's not a, it's, it's a... The Packers do not have good enough players to win a Super Bowl. Yes, the Packers do have Aaron Rodgers. Yes, congratulations. You figured that out. And Aaron Rodgers is, well, he's absolutely incredible. In fact, I would say, well, Aaron Rodgers is not, not only not the most accomplished quarterback in the NFL, he, he, he doesn't have five Super Bowls. He doesn't have five rings, five championships. He's only won one Super Bowl. So even though he's not the most accomplished quarterback in the NFL, 
Aaron Rodgers is absolutely the most gifted quarterback ever to play in the NFL. You know, in fact, I think if I started a franchise tomorrow and I had to pick between Tom Brady in his prime or Aaron Rodgers in his prime, I would 100% go with Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, Rodgers and Brady are far and away better than everyone else. You know, Aaron Rodgers and Brady, they qualify for whatever league is better than the NFL. I think I'm just going to go down this tangent. You know, <laughs> if, there, if there was a league where they could go play football with aliens on Mars, that is where Brady and Rodgers would go. You know, there is no league higher than the NFL. But you do realize what Tom Brady's doing, this aging thing. Aaron Rodgers is doing the exact same thing, except Aaron Rodgers is doing it even better. Aaron Rodgers doesn't even look the same. Look up the 2010 game against the Arizona Cardinals. Look at the way Aaron Rodgers holds the ball. Look at the, his shape. He's, he's thinner now. He looks unbelievable. He's, he's throwing the ball better. Aaron Rodgers, even though he's unbelievable, he's the most talented quarterback in NFL history. I truly believe that. Even with that, Aaron Rodgers is not enough to help the Packers. I'm happy to be wrong about that. I'll say this right now. If Aaron Rodgers can single-handedly win the Packers the Super Bowl, I, I will drop everything right then and there, and I will proclaim Aaron Rodgers the greatest quarterback of all time. Do you know the name Aaron Jones? No? Oh, oh don't worry. I don't either. No one does. Apparently, Aaron Jones is the new Packers running back. Last, this time last year, a year ago, the guy was playing for UTEP. University of Texas, El Paso. You know, that's a conference USA school. That is the Packers running back. You know, last Thursday, the Packers were absolutely dominated by the Bears. And even though they were dominated statistically, the Packers were able to come away with a win. The Packers have no running game, no defense. And I hate to say this, but the Packers issues are completely unfixable. Even with Aaron Rodgers, rule the Packers out. So the Packers are not going to be in the Super Bowl. The major takeaway from that Thursday night game between the Bears and Packers was that it's time to play Mitch Trubisky. And lo and behold, guess what happened the very next day? The Bears' number two overall pick. So, sorry, not the next day. I think it was Monday morning. But we, we learned that Mitch Trubisky, the Bears' number two overall pick, is now the starter for the Chicago Bears. And I want to say this. Before we rip Mike Glennon to shreds, it's very easy to say, Mike Glennon, you're awful. Of course you didn't play. Um, it's important to point out that Mike Glennon was set up to fail. I don't believe that Mitch Trubisky will be much of an improvement on Mike Glennon. You know, I, I, expect, I expect less turnovers from Trubisky. You know, Trubisky will get away with being bad, right? I want to say this. Tony Romo is broadcasting for CBS on Thursday, and I remember this moment. Mike Glennon hit one of his receivers right in the shoulder pads, and, and, and Romo's standing there, and he just goes, I mean, what more do you want from the guy? So I think that Mike Glennon actually played better than everyone is giving him credit for. Mike Glennon had no help whatsoever in Chicago, and, and neither is Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky's got the same ro bad roster that Mike Glennon played with. So I don't feel bad for, Mr. Trubisky, for Mike Glennon. I will say Mike Glennon, the former starter for the Bears, he had a fair chance, and frankly, he blew it. Now, I remember when I played baseball back in the day, and I would, I would stand in the batter's box, and I was terrified of a baseball. I just, I could not hit. I was, I was horrified. I remember fear. I would stand in the batter's box, and I was just afraid. I was like, 
Oh God, it's happening. It's happening. And I was afraid of the baseball. I didn't want to be there. So I've seen that look on his face. I see Mike Glennon's face. And I'm like, Mike Glennon does not want to be there. I know because I've felt that way. And the best part of a quarterback's job is to take accountability. Even when it's not your fault. That is an important part of a quarterback's job. So you you can never do as a quarterback is have your palms up. You can never say, huh? what? You say, my bad. We'll get it next time. Mike Glennon did one of these. He said, it's not my fault. Look, I get it, man. I get it. Your job is on the line. You don't want to be blamed for what's going wrong. But if you're in that deep of hot water where you you can't take blame because you're afraid to lose your job, it's already over. My, Mr. Trubisky will not instantly elevate the Bears. The Bears rookie quarterback is not going to just make them suddenly a better team. I do believe Mike, Mitch Trubisky will play fairly well. You know, Mitch Trubisky will not have four turnovers like Mike Glennon did. Because he's, you know, let's be honest, he's a rookie. Rookies play really conservative. So Mitch Trubisky might play a little better. He may not win games for them. But he's definitely not going to lose game like Mike Glennon was. And the Bears need a pick-me-up. So I'm rooting for Mitchell Trubisky. He won't instantly elevate their franchise, but he gives them hope. And... They can improve a little bit this season. This is, this is good for Mitch Trubisky. It gives him reps. If you want a guy to improve, you just got to let him play football. So I, I think my, Mitch Trubisky is going to struggle. He's got a weaker arm. Trust me, I had a weaker arm. Weak arm quarterbacks really struggle in the cold. So I'm really curious to see how Mitch Trubisky does in the snow. Uh, but I don't think it's a bad move. I think this is good for Mitch Trubisky. It's time for him to get reps so he can improve. I'm going to take another short break. When I return... You know, I want to jump around the league a little bit, talk some more football, and then I want to rank which which Power 5 conference is the best. That's next. I'm Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, and I'll be right back. It is time for me to admit that the Georgia Bulldogs are a really good football team. Now, I've been saying for a while now, Alabama dominates the SEC, and there is no second best team. I believe we have finally found the second best team in the SEC. Georgia's rolling right now. Georgia looks fantastic. You know, I said Notre Dame was hardly an impressive win. Well, two weeks ago, against Mississippi State, Georgia dominated. And last weekend, Georgia smashed Texas 41 to nothing. First thought, Georgia's or Tennessee's head coach fired. Tennessee's head coach is out. But the second one is that second takeaway is Georgia's been really impressive. Even their freshman quarterback, Jake Fromm, is playing really well. And, and even though my friend, Jacob Eason, local Washington guy, lost his job to Jake Fromm, I have to admit, Jake Fromm is playing really well. Even with my bias, I can say Jake Fromm is playing really well. We should not discriminate George's quarterback just because he's a freshman. The dude can play. So I want to say here right now, Georgia is a very good, legitimate football team. Georgia and Alabama do not play until... They don't play each other this year. So until the SEC championship game, we will not see a Georgia-Alabama game. I can't wait for that matchup. You know, I, I have a firm belief, and I think that Alabama will dominate that game. But Georgia is a legitimate football team, and I cannot wait to see Alabama and Georgia match up in the SEC championship game. Predicting that now, that will happen. Alabama will win, but Georgia is going to get a really good bowl game, and they're going to win a lot more games this season. I said, I have a very strong belief. The Big Ten is the best conference 
in college football. And it's not even close. I hope you know that. You know, we talk about the SEC and how the SEC is so great. What is the SEC known for? The SEC is known for big, dominant linemen. And again, the SEC still has that this season. But so does the Big Ten. In fact, I think three of the teams in the Big Ten would beat every single team in the SEC. Besides Alabama, every team in the Big Ten would beat every team in the SEC nine out of ten times. At least those three teams. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Those three big teams in the Big Ten that are dominant are Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Not, not to mention, again, Washington State is really good too. I just don't – or Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a really good team in the Big Ten as well. I just don't believe in Wisconsin's quarterback. Regardless, the Big Ten is absolutely loaded with good teams. So when I was asked to do ranking, rank the college football conferences from worst, from best to worst, from the number one, what's the best conference in college football and the worst, I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. So even though I'm only ranking the Power Five conferences, I strongly believe this is an interesting topic. Yeah, I live in Pac-12 country, and all my friends are trying to convince me how good the Pac-12 is this year. And yeah, the Pac-12 is on the upswing. But here's my ranking. Here is where I land. Obviously, the Big Ten is the best conference in football. They're number one. I did the math, and then I counted how many teams each conference has in the top 25. And however, I rank each conference not by solely on how many teams they have in the top 25, because that's an... That's an objective ranking, right? That, sorry, that's a, a biased ranking. I don't, I, don't, eh, I don't like the top 25. I'm not always convinced. Like, Washington State was in the top 25 for weeks, and I was like, why? We've beaten no one. So I don't hold as much value with the rankings. But as I count which teams have the most ranking, you know, teams in the top 25, one, team was very, one conference was very clear. The ACC is far ahead of everybody else. So the way I'm... I'm Doing this ranking is the more good teams you have in your conference, the better, the higher I will rank your conference. Meaning that I believe the Big Ten has the most teams that could beat other teams in other conferences. So if you compare the Big Ten and the Big 12, the Big Ten is going to win almost every game. You know, if every team in the Big Ten played every team in the Pac-12 once, the Big Ten would have more wins than the Pac-12. That's how I'm doing this ranking. How do they match up against each other? So the Big Ten is first, and the the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, is second. The ACC does have the most teams in the top 25, but that's not why they're here. The ACC plainly has a lot of good teams. Clemson and Alabama are on their own planet this year. Clemson is in the ACC. But the, the ACC also has Louisville, NC State, Virginia Tech, Miami led by Mark Rich, and even though they currently are not in the top 25, because A, you know, Florida State's quarterback got hurt, and because of the Hurricanes, which just kind of ruined their season, Florida State also has a fantastic roster. Florida State could completely dominate every Pac-12 team and Big 12 team, and even some of the SEC schools. Pac-12, Florida State's really good. Do not overlook Florida State. So the ACC is the number two conference. They have the second most good teams in their conference. That leads us next to the SEC. You know, if I were going off one team, yes, the SEC would absolutely be the number one conference in college football because Alabama is far and away better than everybody else. It's not even close. However, this is not just about one team. This is about all the good teams in your conference. And, you know, 
I, I don't like I don't like the SEC. I, I said at one point that they were the worst conference in college football. But then I, I reevaluated. I looked at what they have. Alabama's really good, Georgia's really good, and Auburn's pretty good. So even though I hate to say that I hate the SEC, I'm not afraid to hide that. Um, and I almost put them at fifth. Overall, the SEC is really good. They have three really good teams, and Alabama. Sorry, they have two really good teams, and Alabama that is just dominant. Alabama is amazing. So the SEC is the third best conference. They have dominant line play. They have three three good teams. One of them is fantastic, and that leaves us with the Pac-12 at fourth. I like the Pac-12 this year. I think the Pac-12 is really good, but the line play in the Pac-12 just is not good enough. You know, Georgia would probably dominate. University of Washington. And University of Washington is the best team in the Pac-12. So even though the Pac-12 looks really good, and they're going to beat up on each other, the Pac-12 games are really good. They're going to be really fun. They're going to be close and competitive. I do not believe the Pac-12 is very competitive nationally. So we have, so far, the Big Ten is one, ACC is second, SEC is third, Pac-12 is fourth, and the Big 12 is then fifth. Line play in the pack in the Big 12 is bad, and there is no defense played anywhere. And because of practice rules, the Big 12 plays almost a different sport. It's crazy the way the style of football they play is just just different and weird. It's way more pass heavy. There's bad tackling and bad line play. So I think Oklahoma is the only good team in the Big 12 that can compete nationally. Oklahoma is legit. I think Oklahoma would beat up on the Pac-12. But then the rest of the Pac-12 would just annihilate the rest of the Big 12 because, you know, even though with TCU and OK State would win some games against the Pac-12, I just think the pass-heavy, weird style of football the Big 12 plays does not translate na- on a national level. Other teams would just knock and destroy the Big 12. So that is my final list. Again, the Big 10 is the number one conference in college football. The ACC is second. The SEC is third. The Pac-12 is fourth. And the fifth worst conference is the Big 12. I want to shift gears now to a new segment that I'm calling NFL Buy or Sell. You know, I'm, I'm a weird nerd. I, I'm very fascinated by stocks. I, I read a lot. I'm, I'm a politics nerd. I, I love Time Magazine. And I hear the people I say all the time saying, I'm going to buy this stock or sell this stock based on how well it's doing. So I want to do that with NFL teams right now. This is NFL Buy or Sell. First of all, I want to say, I want to sell all my Dolphins stock. The Dolphins are not working. I said in the preseason that when I quit baseball, I realized it was because I realized I didn't love baseball. I loved when people complimented my pitching. I think Jay Cutler loved $10 million, but he does not love football. Watch him on the sidelines. Jay Cutler's done. So whether Jay Cutler uh, or the fallout from the hurricane, regardless, the Dolphins are simply not getting it done. I'm selling the Dolphins. Now, the Texans are a team I am buying. I love the Texans right now. The Chiefs and the Texans have the two best rosters in the NFL. All the Texans have been missing for years is a quarterback. Remember, this is a roster, a Texans roster that went 9-7 and seven with Brock Osweiler at quarterback. Now that the Texans are getting, dom- getting even decent, just average middle-of-the-road quarterback play, the Texans are dangerous. Deshaun Watson's fantastic, so I am I am buying the Texans. I love what the Texans are doing, and I believe in them. I'm selling the Raiders. You know, Derek Carr is going to be out two to six weeks with a back injury. That is a crippling injury for the Raiders. 
Derek Carr is the heart and soul of that football team, and they have a really tough schedule ahead. Last year when Derek Carr was out with an injury, the Raiders suddenly couldn't do anything. And the Raiders already have a really bad secondary. The Raiders are in big trouble. The Chiefs are the best team in college football, in the NFL, sorry. I am buying a whole lot of what the Chiefs are selling. The Chiefs look fantastic. The Chiefs are already loaded with stars. And then this offseason, they added Kareem Hunt, a rookie, who's just a surprise of the NFL. They have a top three coach with Andy Reid. In fact, I would take Andy Reid over Pete Carroll as my head coach. I love Andy Reid. And Alex Smith is playing the best football of his entire life. Look, I predicted the Chiefs to go 12-4, and four, and right now they look more like a 14-2 and two or 13-3 and three team. So I believe in the Chiefs. I'm selling, however, the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks, yes, are my home team. I love Russell Wilson. But their offensive line just isn't even competitive. And right now their legendary defense, legendary, is giving up a ton of points. So the Seahawks defense is not impressing me. Yes, September is always Pete Carroll's worst month. So it's not too late. The Seahawks can't turn it around, but right now, I do not believe in the Seahawks. I'm, sell- I'm selling the Seahawks. The Rams. Everyone is shocked by the Rams. I am not. The Rams are an example of why good coaching matters. I love Sean McVay, the young head coach. His players seem to love him too. Sean McVay is finding ways to use the strengths of his offensive personnel, and it's genius. It's fantastic. Jared Goff is a franchise quarterback. He will keep improving. The Rams are legit. They have a huge matchup against... The Seahawks in LA this weekend. I am buying the Rams. I am selling the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is from another planet. He's the most talented quarterback ever to play in the NFL. And yet, even with Aaron Rodgers, that is not enough to carry this bad roster through the playoffs. The Packers can't run the ball. They can't play defense. The Packers are in trouble. Now, the Eagles are going to win the NFC East. I am buying the Eagles. I've said that in the preseason, uh, and, and I got a lot of pushback. I said that the, the, Eagle, the Eagles were legit, and no one believed in me. Well, look where we are now. The Eagles have the best group of offensive and defensive linemen in the NFL. Carson Wentz looks even better than he did last year. And I, I would not, I wouldn't even though I would not want to play a game in Philadelphia in the snow. I think the Eagles are dangerous, and they're going to dominate people when cold weather hits. I'm selling the Patriots, unlike the Packers. The Patriots can fix their issues. But right now, the Patriots' defense is too big of an issue. They're they're not going to keep winning games if they don't solve their problems. Every quarterback that plays the Patriots has a field day. The Patriots are blowing assignments, leaving guys wide open. I am selling the Patriots. They can turn it around, but right now, I do not believe in them. Finally, I guess we can sell players too, because I am selling Adrian Peterson. Like, I understand... I never, I never got, I never understood why Adrian Peterson went to the New Orleans Saints. The Saints want running backs that can catch. And have you ever met the guy that, you know, he talks about the glory days. Remember back then? Well, that is Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson is delusional and washed up. So I'm, I'm selling Adrian Peterson. That has been the first ever segment of NFL Buy or Sell. That was fun. I liked it. Um, it is now October. Which means I will acknowledge baseball does exist. I I even watched baseball on Tuesday night. Tuesday night, the Yankees and the Twins played a one-game playoff. I loved it. I love baseball. I think it's best when it matters. A one-game, one-game with your season on the line, that couldn't matter anymore. I, I hate the Major League regular season. I just don't care. There's too much. There's no urgency. Like in football, there's urgency. Every game matters. In baseball, it's like, pfft. 
Playoff baseball, I love. It's dramatic. It's more intense. I love baseball in October. And I think baseball is even better when traditional powers, you know, teams I know about, like the Red Sox and the Yankees are playing. Yeah, I was really happy the Yankees won. So the Yankees and the Red Sox are both in the playoffs. This is going to be a really fun MLB playoffs. Personally, I want to see the Dodgers win. I'm kind of biased. I like LA. But man, I'm happy baseball is here, and I'm happy that meaningful playoff baseball is finally here. I like October baseball. Baseball is so good when winning and losing matters, and even better when teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees and Dodgers are playing. I want to end today's show with this. I love interesting. If something isn't interesting, I don't watch. Plain and simple. The NBA has just changed their all-star game. It's no more, the format has changed. It's not the East versus the West anymore. The way players are selected hasn't changed. We still have 12 stars from the East and 12 stars from the West. But now, the two players that get the most votes will be named team captains. And each captain will choose from the pool of all-stars selected and build their teams. Like a, like a, you know, you ever know in recess when you go out and like, oh, you're on my team, you're on my team. It's kind of like that. I love this. I cannot wait to watch. This will be the first time in like years I watched the NBA All-Star Game. I wish that we could remove the 12 from the East and 12 from the West as well. You know, there are stars like Damian Lillard who might get uh, shafted and not make it to the playoff, might not make it to the All-Star Game, even though he is one of the best point guards in the game because the West is simply stacked. So I would love to see not 12 from the East, 12 from the West, but just the, simply the best stars in the NBA. I don't care what conference you're from. I just want to see them gather in L.A. and play a basketball game. That'd be really fun. Um, but I'm all in on this. I like the new changes. This is interesting and fun, and that is what I want for my entertainment. Give me a reason to watch, and the NBA has done just that. I will finally watch the NBA All-Star Game this season. My name is Zach Schaumler. This has been Strong Opinion Sports. Tell your friends about this podcast. Um, go give Strong Opinion Sports a like and a, a rating on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Tell your friends about the show. I want to grow the audience. We're growing a little bit. It's really fun. So thank you so much for listening. Keep telling your friends about the show. And have a great day, everybody.